clearly, and those things are meant to encourage and to inspire. The temptation for us is the same temptation that Peter faced. Hey, let's, let me just build some shelters and let's live here. And immediately, what is, the father just cuts him off. This is my son whom I love. I want you to listen to him. The temptation for us, particularly in the culture that we live in that's so experience-driven, which is not necessarily negative. There are negatives to it, but it's, it's not negative in and of itself. It's just the re- reality that we live in. We have an experience-driven culture, and so that's part of our church or Christian experience as well. We're, 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 ex- we're, we're looking for feelings and experiences, which, again, it's not, not good or bad. It just is the excess of that as we start chasing experiences. And when we have one, we then spend a bunch of time trying to recreate it or to top it the next time. It's almost like adrenaline junkies for Jesus. We've got to have more feeling next time than we did last time. And worship isn't good, whatever that means, unless you know, there's, there's things that we're looking for experientially with the Lord. And again, it can cause problems for us. And if, that's, if you're bent that way, if you're bent towards experience, if that's, again, that's not good or bad, it's just reality, know yourself. If that's it for you, you need to recognize you're going to face this temptation that Peter faced, which is to kind of make an idol of experience and to say, I'm going for experience more and better. And what God would say to you is, listen to him. Don't go for this. Listen to him. The point of the mountaintop is to deepen our relationship with Jesus. It's more revelation. They knew him better after the mountaintop experience than they did. There was a deeper level of revelation and confirmation to them of who Jesus was and what he was doing. And so, again, the takeaway for the disciples is not let's live on the mountain that's tempting, but no, it's I want you to, I want you to listen to him now. You didn't listen to him before, Peter. He said, this is what I was going to do. And you said, no, that's not going to happen. Now, I want you to listen to him. And the same thing is true for us. This is a bit of a tangent. Actually, it's a large tangent, but it, I think it could be important. One place where I've seen this kind of seeking experience play out negatively, obviously in our relationship with God, it can, because it can leave you wanting. At some point, God just says no. He says, listen to him. He quits giving you the experiences. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He's not, he's not six flags where each roller coaster is bigger, and we're just going around riding our favorite rides. That's not what it is. And so at some point, he's going to pull back from you those feelings and that experience to say, are you going to stick with me even when it doesn't feel good? So that's, I think you understand that piece. The other place where I've seen this, and there may be others, it's devastating in a marriage if this is you. If you're you're experience-driven in your marriage, if you want to be long-term, 50 or 60 or however many years that you've got, you can't, again, your marriage isn't Six Flags. Or there's a whole lot of monster plantation in your marriage. Like, there's a lot of just <laughs> this. Everything is not the screen machine. You have one honeymoon. That's why it's called your honeymoon. You get one. You have one 10-year anniversary. It's like there's, if there's this thing in you that says, we just lost the spark, that's not an excuse for anything. It's not. There's a deeper level of commitment to your spouse. And if you're driven by mountaintops, I want experience, experience, experience. It's just not as fun as it used to be or 
we don't laugh as much as we used to, or it's not as exciting as it used to be. You're chasing mountaintop experiences. And those things are wonderful in a marriage, and they can be, again, just like they are with the Lord. They're encouraging, and they're inspiring, and they give us a, they remind us of why we're doing, they're all of those things. But just like those mountaintop experiences with the Lord, they're temporary, and they're never meant to be more than that. They're glimpses. That's all they are. And they're wonderful, and we want to grab onto them, and you can plan big things, and that's great. But you can't make every Friday can't be better than the last Friday. You can't do that to yourself. And you can't have those expectations on your spouse that every, every date is going to be better than the previous and that every vacation is going to top the one that you've just gone on. There's so much pressure involved in that. And you're going to be disappointed, just like you are with the Lord. If you put those types of, if you put those types of expectations on the relationship, then the relationship becomes the means to an experience. And the, the relationship, which should be the end, just becomes the vehicle for something else. You're abusing it. You don't mean to, but that's what's going on. In either your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with the Lord, you're just using that relationship in order to achieve this experience. And God won't stand it, and at some point your spouse won't either. Next thing, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? He said, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus comes down the mountain. He runs into, we, we know from Mark, there's, a, there's a, a crowd there. It's not a pleasant atmosphere. There are these religious leaders, and they're arguing with the disciples, and this man brings his son who has epilepsy. We know he has epilepsy, but his epilepsy, unlike many uh, people who have it, is caused by a demon. And we know that, for this father, it's critical because this demon, according to Mark, throws this boy to the ground, throws him into the water, throws him into the fire. He's trying to kill him, hurt him and kill him. And so he's desperate, brings his boy to the nine disciples who don't go with Jesus, and they're unable to heal him. Jesus comes down. He's frustrated. I think he's frustrated with the crowd. You've got these religious leaders who are continuing to cause him problems. I think he's probably frustrated with his nine disciples who didn't handle things very well. I don't know if he's frustrated with the father. We know we see in Mark they have this exchange where the father says, if you can help, and Jesus says, if, everything is possible if you believe. And the father says, I believe. Nowhere else in the Bible do we really see Jesus getting frustrated with people who are coming to him for ministry. So I don't think he's necessarily frustrated with the father. I think it's mostly the crowd, these religious leaders, and it's being the religious leaders and, and his nine disciples who are left. And so he's frustrated and he rebukes them. He heals the boy, and then his disciples want to know what gives. How come we weren't able to do this? And then he paints this picture of mountains and mustard seeds. And he had just come off this mountain again, Mount Hermon. It's 9,400 feet above sea level. It's big. It's a big mountain. And mustard seeds are the smallest seeds that are planted at the time. And so he's created this contrast between the smallest thing that they would know in their world and the biggest thing that they would know 
in their world and say it only takes that to move that. And then they kind of move on. I've, I've been thinking about this passage, particularly there at the end, those last several verses, because you have so little faith, that idea. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, that idea, and nothing will be impossible for you, that idea. So those three ideas to me have kind of stuck with me this week. Part of it, I think, is um, Steve Egan is sitting here is because of kind of what we've been walking through the past couple of weeks. Last week we were in here and we prayed for Katie Egan. We prayed that God would jumpstart her brain and that she would get out of this bed and walk and we did her funeral yesterday. So those prayers weren't answered. Ultimately, she was healed. Yes, she's a, she was a believer. She's a, in heaven with the Lord. She's fully, she has, she's, she's restored in every way. And so, yes, God ultimately has healed her, but healed her. But what we were looking for was for her to walk out of the hospital. And so reading these verses in light of that experience this week, it's made me go, what actually, what's going on? So those three ideas. You have so little faith, that's the reason you couldn't take care of this boy. Mustard seed, and nothing will be impossible. So what's going on from this idea, because you have so little faith? Remember, these disciples had previously been sent out on a missionary journey. They'd all gone out in groups of two in pairs. Jesus did not go with them, and he sent them out. And we know from Mark's version and from Luke's version, they were successful in ministry. They healed a lot of people and they drove out a lot of demons. So they, they shouldn't have had a problem with this boy. Like, they've done this before. They know what they're doing, and again, they've been successful in doing it before. So what's the difference with this? Is this some tougher demon? Is epilepsy harder to heal than some other condition? I don't think so. He hangs it on their faith. Faith is trust. Those are synonyms. Faith is trust, and he says you, have, you, you don't have much because of your lack because of the little faith that you have and faith is trust so to me what he's saying is because you don't trust me very much and I want to know what happened how come just several months before they did trust him enough to be successful in these situations and now they're not trusting him enough to be successful in these situations what has changed and I don't know but I wonder if it's because they felt like they got left behind so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this mountain, and he leaves them there. And then the Pharisees come around, and they start arguing, and then this dad comes, and he's pestering them about his kid, and they, they don't have any control of it. I wonder if they're upset, if their feelings are hurt. There's a difference between when Jesus sent them out earlier. He empowers them. He says, here's your charge. He gives them all the same instructions. He gives them all the same authority, and he sends them out to do ministry. And I wonder this time, since they're the nine who don't get to go with Jesus up on the mountain, if they're bent out of shape. If faith is trust, the, uh, the level of faith, if you like the word amount, that's okay, but I don't want you thinking of faith as um, like a substance that you can hold, that there's a lot of it. I want you to think of it as a, rela it's a relational dynamic. And so you're le the, uh, the level of trust you have with Jesus, the level of faith you have is tied directly to your relationship with him at any given point. And you can make that same parallel to any relationship that you have. Our trust levels with people tend to ebb and flow based on our relational connection to them at any given point in time. If you've just caught your kid lying to you, then your trust level at that moment with them has dropped because of the, what's going on relationally there. When they do things to earn your trust back, your trust level 
increases with them. I think the same thing goes on with Jesus. I think that these nine disciples are bent out of shape. Their feelings are hurt. They feel left out. So relationally, they're, at, they're not in a great place with Jesus. And therefore, their faith in him, their trust in him has dropped. And when a ministry situation arises, they don't, there's nothing there to draw on for them. They don't have the relational connection at that moment. Therefore, there's not enough trust there to bring healing to this boy. It's different from when he sent them out. And they were encouraged and inspired and empowered. I think that's probably what's going on here. Most of life for us is lived here on the plain. I don't say the valley. I think valleys and mountaintops are both outliers. Both of those things are temporary. So the mountaintop experiences with Jesus, we get those. They're, they're, they're momentary and they're temporary. And I think valleys are as well, where we either feel completely disconnected for them or we're going through some type of tragedy. All of those things are, those are outliers. Most of life is lived where these nine are, on the level plane. And so the question for us becomes, am I maintaining a relational connection with Jesus such that there's, there's faith there, there's trust there, so that when a need arises, either in me or in someone I'm connected to, I actually have something to draw on. Now, for most of us, so we have this baseline of trust. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then you're trusting him to forgive you of your sins and to bring you into a right relationship with the Father. Most of us never drop below that. I actually, you may disagree. I think you can. I, I don't think you can lose your salvation like you lose your car keys, but I think you can throw it away. We're in a relationship with God, and you enter into a relationship, and I think you can withdraw from that relationship as well. I don't think it's easy, but I do think it's possible. And so you may disagree with that, and that's okay. You, this, it doesn't matter necessarily with what we're talking about here, but for us, I would say most of us never drop below that level of trust with Jesus. But I think we would say there are times where we, we seem to trust him more. You're on a mountaintop. It's easy to trust him more. It's easy to feel empowered. It's easy to say, yeah, I can, I, he wants to use me in these ways, and I can pray for this, and I can go for this, and I'm trusting him at this level. For many of us, even when we're in the valleys, it's easy because we're desperate and we recognize our need for him. It's when we're on the plane, which is where we spend most of our life, that it becomes very difficult, I think, to maintain the level of relational connection necessary to trust him to use us, whether, again, when the need is personal or in the life of somebody else. And I think it's difficult for two reasons. One is neglect. Living the life that we live, it's very easy to neglect our relationship with Jesus. We just forget. We get busy. We get distracted. He doesn't seem relevant. Those types of things happen for us. And so over time, that neglect, that, that causes us to withdraw from him. It's not intentional, but it's what happens. Our relationship with him erodes, and our trust in him drops. And then when a need arises, either personal or in somebody we're connected with, we got nothing to draw on when it comes to praying. we got nothing. And it, I don't think Jesus is necessarily blaming the disciples here. I guess he is. I think he's not, though. I think what I see here is him saying, this is the issue. Here's the difference between you now and you however many months ago when you went out. The difference is your connection to me. And that's the same thing with us. Are we connected enough to him? 
that when it comes down to actually drawing on that relationship, there's something to draw. And again, and neglect is one of the things. And so we have to be intentional about how we cultivate our relationship with the Lord. The picture for me is you need a riverbed and you need water. You need both of those things. The riverbed, that's the channel for the water. If you don't have a riverbed, then all you have is a flood. Water's going everywhere. It's not productive. It's not moving in a direction. If all you have is a riverbed and there's no water in it, then you just got a dry riverbed. And what we want is both. We need the riverbed and we need the water. The riverbed, they're spiritual disciplines. That's a terrible sounding word, but it's true. These are the things that I do to cultivate my relationship with Jesus. I pray. I read the word. I walk to work and listen to worship music. I meet with two or three guys and confess my sin. Whatever your things are, whatever the things that you do to cultivate your relationship with Jesus, that's your riverbed. Doing those things guarantees nothing. The Pharisees had great spiritual disciplines. They had the best-looking riverbed in the history of riverbeds, but there was no water in it. But you've got to have it. And if I were to ask you, what is your riverbed? If you've got nothing, then I would say, then you've got nothing. You're not cultivating a relationship. When it comes down to it, when Jesus calls on you and says, hey, here's the need in your circle, you're not going to have anything to draw on. There's not going to be enough trust there for you to actually believe for God to do anything. You haven't maintained the relationship. So there has to be something. You don't have to have 20 things, but there need to be a handful of things that you regularly do. For some people, it's they walk the mountains. For some people, it's silence and solitude. Some people fast. I don't care what you do. There just have to be some things that you have found personally allow you to connect with Jesus. And if you would say, I've got nothing, I can't find anything, you need to come talk to me, and we'll figure something out. There have got to be some things that you're regularly doing. If you say, I'm just led by the Spirit, I'm going to say, where is he leading you? To your couch to watch TV. See, that's, that's an excuse for some of us. We don't want to get locked in to anything. We don't want to be rigid. We don't want to be legalistic. And you don't. That's, again, that's the Pharisees. That's, there's got to be the water there. But for many of us, the lack of discipline, that's an excuse. It's like when we say we want to be a good steward, and it really just means we want to be stingy. For some of us, when it comes to this whole idea of disciplines, we say we want to be free, and we want to be led by the Spirit, but it really means we just want to be lazy and do what we want to do. So you need the riverbed, and you also need the water, and the water is the Holy Spirit. So whatever I'm doing, I need to consciously be engaging. doesn't do me any good to read if I've got the TV on in the background. I'm just checking a box. It doesn't do me any good to pray if I'm mad at my kids. I'm not focused on the Lord. I'm thinking about them. And so I've got to figure out where the water comes in. I've got to, God, I need, I'm going to read this, and I need you to show me something. I want to meet you in the Word. God, I'm going to pray. Is there anything I need to do to kind of free my heart so I can pray? Do I need to apologize to my wife? Do I need to, is there, is there something that's going to keep me from connecting with you? Today, I'm going to fast, and it's not because I'm about to go to the beach and I want to look good in a swimsuit. I'm going to fast as a sign that, I'm, that, that connecting with you is more important than eating to me today. My spirit is more important than my body. Those types of things. So there's that spiritual connection. That's the water, and you need both. If you've got the riverbed and you've got the water, then you're cultivating that relationship. And when the, need, when the time comes, 
there'll be, there'll be trust there. There'll be faith there. You'll know him enough to draw on that relationship. The other thing that can keep you, keep us, and I think it's where the nine were, is, uh, is disappointment. When we're disappointed with God, we pull back from him. Whether that's unanswered prayer, whether it's confusion, whether it's frustration, for whatever reason, if we're disappointed, that's what happened, I think, with the nine. Their feelings were hurt because they didn't get picked to go up on the mountain. And so they're, they're, they're disappointed with Jesus. So, of course, then when it comes time to trust him, they don't trust him. He didn't pick them to go up on the mountain. And if that's you today, really your only choice at that point is to confess that to the Lord. God, this is where I'm disappointed. He, never, he doesn't do things wrong, but you can still confess your disappointment in him. Jesus wasn't wrong to pick those three. But Thomas can still say to him, it, it ticked me off that you picked Peter instead of me. Especially after he just said that to you and you called him Satan and all those. Like, why are you picking him? It's okay for Thomas to say that to Jesus. It doesn't mean Jesus made a mistake because he didn't. But, Tom, but Thomas's feelings are legit. And he needs to say, that, that hurt my feelings or that ticked me off or drives me nuts that you take those three instead of me. And he needs to confess that to the Lord. And then what he's got to do is say, but I trust you. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust that you know what's best. And that's, if you're disappointed, that's what you have to do as well. You've got to confess that to God. doesn't mean he did anything wrong. It just means that you're disappointed. And you've got to tell him that. Otherwise, that disappointment is going to fester in your heart, and it's going to turn into anger, and then it's going to turn into bitterness. And you're pretty far down the road at that point. So you need to confess that disappointment to the Lord and then make a decision to say, I'm going to choose to trust you, which kind of ties in here to this nothing is impossible piece. I've thought about this a lot. I don't know if, if I've got a good idea. Kind of what I'm thinking on this nothing is impossible idea it's just because nothing is impossible doesn't mean that everything I want to happen is going to happen. There's a difference between what is possible and what's actual. So I have, because I'm trusting in Jesus, he says all you need is the faith of a mustard seed, which is, he's, he's not setting a level. He's saying it's nothing. In comparison to this mountain, a mustard seed is nothing. And the reason it doesn't take much trust is because the one I'm trusting is so powerful. It doesn't take a lot to move a mountain when the one moving it is God. Just a little bit of trust in him. Again, he's not setting a minimum level where in my mind I'm trying to think of how much faith fits in a mustard seed. That's the wrong way of approaching it. What he's saying here, he's not giving me an equation or a technique. What Jesus is saying is it doesn't take much which I think is an indictment on those nine. It doesn't take much, and y'all didn't even have that. Your relationship with me at this point was so broken that you didn't even have that much trust in me. So again, I think what he's showing is it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't have to be proportional to what you're trying to do. It's just it, so then that, again, moves into this nothing is impossible, which for me doesn't mean that everything I want to happen will happen. I remember... I was walking with Steve the other day, and we were talking about Katie. And he said, I don't believe I get to give God a work order, and he's going to do what I tell him to do because I ask. He gets to make those decisions, and that's a true statement. We ask. He decides, and I don't know how he decides. Yesterday at the funeral, I was telling the congregation, there's a girl who I know, a woman. She had, at this point, she had two kids, two boys, and they were five and seven, something like that, and they were wearing her out every time. 
she said, this is every time she said something they didn't want to hear. Why, 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 why? She would answer, why, why? You know, this, this constant back and forth between them. And so one day she sat down and she typed out all of these reasons why. Because I said so, because you're only six, because it's a school night, because you didn't eat your vegetables, because we can't afford it, because it's dangerous, because it's too late, whatever. She listed them all, cut them up, put them in a bowl. Next time her kids came to her and asked her for something and she said no and they said why and she held out the bowl and said pick one. What she's saying is because I'm your mom. It's just because I'm your mom. The reason doesn't matter. I'm your mom. Underneath that, I love you. I'm smarter than you. I see better than you. I know how things play out better than you do. I'm good. But ultimately, it's because I'm your mom. And I think, that's where, I think that's where this nothing is impossible thing gets for us. Everything is possible. Jesus fed 12,000 people minimum with five loaves of bread and two fish. He opened the eyes of countless blind people. He got people who were paralyzed up and walking. He raised people from the dead. And the Bible says that the same spirit that raised him from the dead is in us. We can do all of those things. He said in John, we'll do greater things than him. I don't think that means greater in terms of significance, but greater in terms of number. Those th- all of that's on the table for us. But that doesn't mean that every time we pray for somebody, they're going to be healed, and I don't know why. Because we live in a fallen world, because we have an enemy who steals and kills and destroys, because choices have consequences, because Jesus hasn't made everything. I think he holds out a bowl. And he just says, pick one. When we, the, the thing, ultimately, he's saying, because I'm your father. Can you just trust me in the midst of this? That I'm good, and that I'm wise, and that I'm powerful, and that I'm loving. And I see how everything works out and plays together. So for me, the nothing is impossible. It's not, it's not a promise that says everything that we pray is going to be answered. And if it's not, it's because we didn't have enough faith. For me, it's a statement of reality, truly. If I'm in a relationship with the God of the universe, nothing is impossible. Peter walked on water. Nothing is impossible for us. But that doesn't mean that everything that we pray and everything that we do is going to come up roses. And I don't know why. Sometimes the mountain gets moved and sometimes it doesn't. All I know in the midst of that is Jesus is saying, same thing he says to the nine. Do you trust me enough in the midst of this when things don't work? Do you trust me enough to stick with me? This is how I want us to close this morning. I want you to think of two things. One, I want you to take stock of your relationship. Would you say you're cultivating a relationship with the Lord? Somebody in your circle, let's say today, calls you, and they have a, a situation that's pretty desperate. Apart from God's intervention, probably not going to work out. Do you feel like, this is not guilt, I'm just asking. Would you say, yeah, I I can pray for that. I can believe that God can work in that situation. If the answer is no, I would just say, why? Is it because you aren't cultivating a relationship? Is it because you have some inferiority complex and think God won't use you? That's not true. What What would it be that would cause you to say, I better call somebody else and get them on this? versus you feeling comfortable praying about that situation. So take stock there and really see, where am I 
God wants to use you. We talk all the time about you doing your deal, how God wants to use you as a channel of grace in the people, to the people that you're connected with. Are you, are you available for his use this morning? Do you have, is, there a, is there a relationship there where there's actually enough trust that you can draw on in those difficult circumstances? And the second thing I would say is, is there a mountain in front of you this morning? Can you name that? And would you allow us to pray that God would move that? And that's all we're going to pray. We're not going to pray any, that's what we're going to pray. It's just our, my assumption is that God wants to move the mountain. If he decides not to in whatever way, that's his deal. And we can talk about that later. When you come forward for prayer, what we're going to pray is that God would move it. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you are so intent on relationship. Everything hinges on that with you, our relationship, staying connected to you. And God, we thank you that you are so furiously and ferociously committed to us. And God, I pray that you would increase our commitment to you. God, I pray that when you look at us, you don't see people of little trust. You see people of great trust. And that's not evidenced by how loud we pray or how much we... It's not evidenced by any of that. It's evidenced by just walking in faithful obedience to what you put in front of us. And one of the things that you put in front of us was to pray, to ask you to move in circumstances, even circumstances that seem uh, impossible to us. And so this morning, that's what we're doing, God. We're not trying to work up anything. We're not trying to leverage anything. We're not trying to manipulate it. We're not doing any of that. We're just going to come to you as your children and say, here's my mountain. And we're just going to look to you, trust you to move it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ministry teams, if you guys would come up here, Austin will dismiss us after this song. And I'd encourage you again, if you've got a mountain in your life, please let us pray with you this morning. And also, just because I know some of you, don't minimize your thing. Don't say, well, this is really not that big a deal. If it's a mountain to you, then it's a mountain. And you need to let us pray for you and with you about that. So you guys can stand. And then Austin will dismiss us in a minute.